0: First to officially wish you a uh, a very great and happy afternoon. Welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. And a reminder for you folks out there, uh, weather here in western New York is expected to take a pretty nasty turn in the next two hours here. The National Weather Service has uh, issued high wind warnings and there is expectations that winds could exceed 75 miles per hour, which is essentially hurricane force winds here in western New York after an overnight severe weather um, pattern that went through the central United States that had over 30 tornadoes touchdown. down. Uh, Don Paul, local meteorologist, just tweeted out that the Detroit airport measured a 64 mile per hour wind uh, gust just this hour in the Detroit airport, which uh, we'll be heading our way shortly. So uh, for you western New Yorkers tuning in, make sure you get those uh, Christmas decorations on the front lawn back in the garage for the interim and uh, and make sure you stay safe this afternoon and stay off the roads uh, if you can. All right, let's go back to the Western Hotline. Get back to our sports uh, here this afternoon, and Tampa Bay Bucks, and NFL Draft analyst for Pewter Report, John Ledger, joining me now. And John, it's uh, it's been a while, my friend. It's uh, great to have you back, and uh, great to chat with you. It's uh, I- I'm I'm glad we've got a Bills Buccaneers week to make this happen.
1: Yeah, it's great to chat with you, buddy. And it has been a while. Uh, obviously, draft season, we usually talk a good bit, but I had this one circled on my calendar, Bills Bucs. So I was like, yeah, definitely gonna be talking with my man Nate at some point this week. I do it so. Happy to do that here. uh, About a little over 24 hours from kickoff.
0: Most of these Bills-Bucks matchups are fine for me, and then and then the Bucks got Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, Uh, did you know that Tom Brady? Tom Brady being 32 and and two against the Bills all time should be way more talked about. It should be like the Ryan Fitzpatrick has gone to Harvard stat, Um, but it's not for some reason, and I don't know why because it's one of the most unbelievably impressive um, singular stats against a team. And I know wins aren't quarterback stats, but I'm going to go ahead and say this is the exception to that rule. Um, Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing from Tom Brady this year. And we've had conversations. I remember maybe it was even like last summer um, talking about – how Brady was used in New England, which made people, I think, maybe falsely assume that he was coming to an end in his career, and he's just revitalized himself, and he looks like a completely different player in Tampa Bay's, you know, deep threat Bruce Arians offense.
1: Yeah, for sure. just on the on the thirty-two and two, or whatever it is, you know, I mean, I you're right that it's impressive, but also I think Arian said it best, you know, Brady was on a better team than the Bills were from <laughs> all those years. So, I mean, you can, like, it is impressive. Don't get me wrong. And, and you could certainly, Brady was obviously the biggest part, in my opinion of that, the Patriots' success, you know, although there were a lot of parts, he was, you know, the quarterback's always going to be the most important part of sustained success like that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a big part of it, but also it's like, well, the, the Patriots were better teams just across the board than the Bills those years, you know, so, It doesn't necessarily mean anything for this game, although because the Bills are obviously so much better now than they were during most of Brady's career in New England, and obviously Tampa Bay is still a great team as well. But, you know, for Brady and Tampa Bay, I think the most fascinating thing about it probably won't be talked about as much as it should be until after he's he's retired and moved on from Tampa Bay or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, people looked at New England's offense, and it evolved so many times over the years, and people want to say, oh, it was this, it was this. It was never any one thing. You know, he played there 20 years. It, it, it can constantly change depending on the personnel that they had. You know, what Brady thought worked with players, what McDaniel's and Belichick thought worked with players. It was constantly evolving. But we never really saw him in an offense as as much like the one that he's in now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where so much of it is vertical-based passing attack, so much of it is full-field stuff. You know, so much of it is straight dropback and and not play action. And really, what it is, you you cannot operate a Bruce Arians offense, a Byron Leftwich offense, without being a premier quarterback. You can't mm. do it. So we don't talk enough about how the fact that Brady looked around the league, saw all the teams that were interested, saw all the situations, some good situations, and although obviously Tampa Bay's roster was, was really enticing to him, he actively chose one that he knew schematically would be the toughest test for him. You know, just, yeah. not only just for him but for any quarterback. That's just how hard it is. When I mean, you look at the quarterbacks Bruce Arians has had, you know, he's had Ben Roethlisberger, who honestly struggled early on in the system, took years to kind of get – to a level where he was playing really well in the system. And even then, Aaron's system was was different. Andrew Luck, you know, who was maybe one of the best quarterback prospects we've ever seen, came out and played well in the system. And then Carson Palmer, you know, he had his ups and downs in the system, but he had those couple peak years, really two peak years in the system, then injuries, and he just couldn't sustain that level of play. Well, now you have Brady stepping in here 43 and 44 years old, and being able to operate this offense with all the difficulties it presents for a quarterback at a high level—it's—it's it's pretty special stuff.
0: John, I—I I, want to listen. We could probably, you could probably make your own Tom Brady podcast because there's a ten-part docu-series. People really love consuming the Tom Brady content, but uh, you know, I—I also want to, I also want to recognize the the. Um, the stomachs of 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 our Buffalo listeners here, and I'm not sure how much Tom Brady talk they could potentially stomach um, today. So we'll shift gears a little bit because there is a lot of great storylines and interesting storylines about this Tampa Bay team. And I mean, maybe none more interesting than the ascension, the evolution of Leonard Fournette, who was a player that was really looking like after his career in Jacksonville was over, and 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 getting sort of cut midseason, season that. He could have easily maybe dwindled and faded away into the sunset, never to be heard from again. I mean, it happens to countless NFL running backs. I mean, you, you can't even you, – you can't name on fingers and toes how many big-named NFL running backs that happens to, much less guys like Leonard Fournette. But what has been – I, I hate to bring this back to Brady, but short of just playing with Tom Brady, John, what have you yeah. noticed in Fournette's game that has allowed him to take the reins of that running back room against the guy that that franchise, and Ronald Jones, has basically done – I've never seen – like. If you are a Ronald Jones' agent, all you can really do is thank the, the Buccaneers for doing everything in their power to elevate him to a primary running attack or to, as the primary option in that offense. He just never took it, and it opened the door for Le- for Leonard Fournette. But it's not just about having that uh, that that uh, opportunity, John. He took it, he ran with it, and I think there's truly a shifting narrative about Fournette moving forward in a career that maybe is taking off now.
1: Yeah, you know he is he is still kind of a very ordinary runner to be honest with you. Like he, you know he's he's never going to be special as a ball carrier. You know that's just not in the cards for him. There's not the explosiveness there. The vision can be come and go. Although, you know again it, it does go back to Brady. I know people aren't going to want to hear, but it does go back to Brady. He w- he's the one that says Leonard's the one that says when you ask him that it's been Brady who's who's turned things around for him. His ability to instill confidence again in Fournette after he got cut after being you know the fourth overall pick or whatever he was. And basically, you know, being treated like a god his whole entire football life until th- things, you know, flamed out in Jacksonville. You know, it was a huge hit. Lenny talked openly about it, and I appreciate how candid he's been about how hard it was for him mentally to get cut from a team. You know, thinking what he thought about his skill set all those years, and realizing I might not make it in the, in the NFL, and seeing how little interest was out there. I think even in free agency this past year, seeing how little interest was out there, um, you know, it it got him to Brady and he to get together and said, okay how can we take this offense to the next level? And some of the things they've done, they've instilled these Friday meetings with the offensive line and they've, it's been a- allowed them to add to the run scheme. So the run scheme is not as simple as it was last year. They've kind of a lot, added a lot of different elements to the run scheme conceptually. And a lot of it's because players and, and running backs and quarterbacks, everybody's receivers, they're all on the same page more with what they're running. And that was, again, that was Brady and Fournette getting together and saying, Hey, we need to start doing these things. And so they've been meeting and Tristan works has talked to us probably three or four times about how important those meetings have been and how much they've been instrumental in changing everything that's happened with the run game. But what's really impressive about Fournette is you know, the run game. He's always just going to be kind of ordinary in my opinion, in that regard, he's made himself, you know, above average as a pass catcher, which yeah. is huge. I mean, I just didn't think he, that was in the cards for him, to be honest, like a, his hands are just, he still leads the bucks and drops, but his hands are, were just so bad last year. He led the NFL and drop percentage. Um, that's come a long way this year. You know, his ability to just get vertical after the catch, he was kind of stopping his feet uh, after catches all the time last year. And it was just like, is this guy ever going to get yards after catch or go attack somebody? Now he's actually getting vertical and taking guys on one-on-one in space. And, again, he's not going to force a lot of his tackles. not going to be elusive. If he's the primary option in your offense, like he was in Jacksonville that one year, your offense is going to be pretty yeah, bad. But, yeah. but he's not Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey, but he gives you something in that area, and he's also improved. Tremendously in pass protection. That's been a weakness his entire career. And again, I think that's communication with a lot of leaders up front and with Brady and pass pro. He's just always in the right place at the right time, which has been was a huge negative last year. Now it's a huge
2: positive.
0: John, what has stood out to me on film uh, this week, doing just kind of my my research on the on the Bucs is. We we were we started the conversation about Brady and this vertical Bruce Arians attack, but one of the things that I've maybe noticed with more frequency this year, especially against defenses that do want to defend this Tampa Bay offense with the two high safety look, which is you know I could throw up by how much we have to talk about two high safety looks as if like it's some sort of crazy anomaly that's never been thought of before. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I've really noticed is the. I don't know, what's the word I want to use? The the increased usage of Chris Godwin as that tunnel screen and line of scrimmage player yards after catch Maven. And I don't know that that's something I had assumed or thought Chris Godwin was going to evolve into at this point in his career, Um, but that is a really good weapon for this team. A weapon that I've just been... I don't know, screaming bloody murder that the Bills should try to figure out a way to do with Stephon Diggs and stop doing it with Cole Beasley. Um, but talk to me a little bit about we this this offense gets pegged as this you know vertical deep threat offense, but man, they have really evolved at the line of scrimmage as a short yard after catch uh, offense as well. I think predominantly with Godwin at that in that position.
1: Yeah, we could probably do a whole pot on this too, to be honest with you. But the evolution of the offense, yeah, especially last year, you know, I think the, Bruce Arians has always wanted to be so vertical, and when teams take that away, he's had a hard time kind of countering. Oh, we'll run the ball, you know. Well, he's, he's just never had a very great or diverse run scheme, and that's never what they do. So they've been able to run it okay at times in his career, but you know, it's not been something he can rely on every game. So that wasn't working for the Bucks last year as, as a counter. So they said we got to become more efficient in the quick passing game, and so you know that's been part of it. Chris Godwin. It's kind of low-key. You don't hear him talk about He's it. kind of low-key one of the best receivers after the catch of the entire NFL. Uh, in 2019, he led the NFL, I believe, all uh, wide receivers at least, in uh, yards after catch uh, per catch. And so he uh, has just kind of always been this guy. Last year, he, the numbers did dip a little bit, in part because he was hurt for a while. Uh, he missed four games. He missed parts of a couple other games that he was in. Um, and then kind of they were getting him acclimated of the offense, but also they didn't want to add to the offense because everybody was still learning while they were last year um so they didn't get to that some of that stuff till later in the year and then they used ab on a lot of it too because godwin's the best blocker so they wanted him blocking and they used ab on a lot of those quick throws uh last year and now with ab hurt and just in general i think they they were going to go back to godwin in that area and so they've used him in a lot of those ways and he's yeah he's great because he has great hands and, he, and he's quick to the talk and he has really good vision uh to follow blocks good tackles too so it is an asset to their offense you know and it's allowed them you said it i mean Nobody in the league is getting defended vertically. Maybe the Chiefs, but that's it. I mean, nobody in the league is obsessed with taking away vertical plays against an offense like defenses are against the Bucs. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to watch on tape every week. And so, you know, people wondering why Fournette had more catches than Evans going into last week It's because, yeah, Evans is constantly running vertical routes into, you know, where the safety is. And so, for nobody's guarding Fournette under, covering Fournette underneath. So you got to take what's there. And so the Bucks have, Develop some counters to the way defenses are playing them. That's been kind of a mid-season adjustment. Early in the year, there were some teams that wanted to go man-on-man, the Cowboys and the Dolphins, and, and they found out real quick what that was about. Um, so that's one of the fascinating things about this matchup, too. The Bills have obviously played more man-to-man this season uh, than in the past, and you know, not with now we're going to see really their first because I don't really count yep. last week without Trey White, right. um, what that looks like with Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace if they continue to do that. And so I think there's some uncertainty on the part of the Bucks in the game plan. It's like, we're not really totally sure what we're going to see coverage wise. So it presents, you know, it's one of those things that I think everybody who's into the X's and O's part of it will be looking for as soon as the Bucks' offense gets out there.
0: John Ledger here of Pewter Report on the West her Hotline, joining me talking Bills Bucks. And John, I want to ask you about the defensive side of the ball because this is a defense that. Is still one of the best run defenses in the league, and what I'll say about run defenses: is there is a correlation between how many points your offense is scoring and the the ability for other t- other teams to really maintain a uh, an interest in running. So there there is something to be said about that. But even if you take away how dynamic the the Bucks' passing offense is and getting teams out of their running game early. they are still really physical at the point of attack. It starts with Vita Vea, and on the back end as well, they've got linebackers that can fill gaps and get downhill. Where do you believe, and let's just throw out for a second, what the past, I don't know, seven games, the last month and a half has been for this Bills offense, because it's been frustrating. You and I will talk a little bit about that here in a couple minutes as well. But where do you view this Buccaneers defense? I know they're getting healthier on the back end too, which I think will be important and something to note in this game. But like, where do you believe the Bills – can maybe pick on or where can the bills identify an attack in this buccaneer's defense that might lead to some uh, some some
1: points yeah i've I've just got a totally different idea about the bills than I feel like most bills fans that I've seen on Twitter this week have yeah, you know I, they've lost five games, but they've lost four of them by just i mean if the Steelers blocked a pun right like yep. the Titans they'd have failed fourth down near the goal line like. The Patriots game is. A, I mean, come on, like they play, they run that through the simulation a hundred times. The Bills are going to win like eighty, eighty-five of those yep. games against the Patriots. Like what's going Like I just, I'm sorry, I'm not buying like the Bills as this disappointing team. Like I just think they have all this firepower still. And yeah, Josh Allen's got to play a little better, a little more consistently. No question. You know, it's going to come down to that for sure, in my opinion. But you look around the AFC. I mean, this isn't the NFC. Like in the NFC, maybe okay, but in the AFC, like come on, like. You know, the Chiefs are still can't tie their shoes together on offense, and we'll see with the Patriots. But I'll believe, you know, Matt carrying a team when I see it, uh, yep. especially against a good opponent. And so, yeah, you look at the Bills and you say, all right, they can get this passing attack going. Like, they're actually okay at running the football. You know, that everybody's like, the Bills can't run and they can't stop the run. Well, that's kind of recency bias or going off a couple game bias, to be honest, because their league rank numbers in those areas are, are, are really okay. And, like, even if you look at their efficiency numbers and things like that, like, they're not that bad. Like in a lot of these areas, like they're not horrible. You know, there's been a couple tough matchups, a couple tough drives that were on national TV that people saw, that are kind of changing the perception. But they, this is a team that still does some good things at the line of scrimmage. You know, they're not like a total. People act like they can't win anything at the line of scrimmage. They, they can. They have guys at the line of scrimmage on both sides of this ball that are that are good football players. Um, they are not a total mess in those areas. If they were, it would be a problem. But having said that, you know, if you're looking for ways to attack Tampa Bay's defense, it probably isn't deciding, all right, this is the week we're going to pound it uh, on the ground. It just, it just, <laughs> right. It just, it, just, it just ain't how people beat Tampa Bay. It just isn't. Like, you know, you, you know, sure, you want to be able to throw the ball to run it against Tampa Bay. That's what you do. When teams have had any, any success running the ball against Tampa Bay this year, for the most part, it's been when you've gotten them to play coverage, basically, to get more defensive mm-hmm. backs on the field, like the Colts at the end of that game. If you remember that one drive near the end of the game, they ran it, ran it, ran it to tie it at 31 before the Bucs went down and won the game, you know, and the Bucs were playing nickel, like their whole drive, nickel and dime, and like they were expecting the Colts to come out throwing, you know, with a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Colts opted to go back to running it. Same thing with the Eagles late in the game when they pound up yards. Like that's how you beat. If you want to run the ball at all against Tampa Bay, you better be able to throw it. Like if you can't, forget it. It's just never going to happen. Like you're not going to be able to run the football against them. So it's so important that Josh Allen and those guys find some success. And I completely agree with you you've got to have run-after-catch opportunities as an offense. Like The Bucks aren't allowing like any big plays down the field, and they're not on teams to run against them. So you've got to find ways to get the ball to Allen hand quick, and let guys run after the catch. The Bucks have missed a ton of tackles this season, but Buffalo's going into this game as one of the worst teams in the league in terms of yards after the catch. To me, if I'm their offense game planner for this, I'm saying how do we get the ball in our guys' hands quickly mm. so that they can make plays because that's where teams have had success against the Bucks defense.
0: Yeah, the Bills are just absolutely bottom of the barrel, bottom of the league in yards after catch. And I know a lot of that is scheme-related, John. But, like, what is your whole take on this, I don't know, dilemma, this national emergency that the Bills just – and, like, listen, I love – as a fan of a lot of offensive linemen who turn into, um, you know – uh, TV analysts and 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 content creators I, I got into a back and forth with Jeff Saturday a couple of weeks ago and it was after maybe maybe it wasn't after the Jacksonville it was after the the Indianapolis game where he said you know this what this comes down to is the bills can't run the ball and even if they don't have success they show they should still run the football just so that they show defenses that they are willing and I I am, John, just – my mind is completely on the other side of that, which is if you can't run – and we heard – I just – I quote tweeted earlier a quote from, um, from uh, Pete Carroll who said, well, you know, th- it's not really about the yards. It's about the perception that you will run the football. And I just want to beat my head against a wall. Like, what the hell are we talking about? Yards are overrated. Like, the Bills, to me, John – I know that, and I probably agree with you, that they are a couple of plays away from being a 10-win team right now, but it, it mm. I can't ignore that over the first six weeks of the football season, this was a team scoring 35 points a game, and over the last six, they're scoring 22. The offense is not right. It's just, it's not clicking at the same level mm. it was last year with almost the exact same personnel, the same play caller, and defenses are, mm. are, are, are definitely playing them differently than they were last year. Way less man coverage, but... Where do you stand on the, the spectrum of run the ball to run it? And is running the ball right now to run it part of the problem for the Bills?
1: I, I, I mean, I think that they can run it okay. When, when they run it is probably the most important thing. You know, play sequencing is the most important thing for running it. You know, people act like you can just run the football and it will change the mentality of the entire game. That's just not true. Like, if it's not successful – it's not going to. And if it isn't, if you aren't running it in those situations, you know, where it's, where it's likely to be more successful Then it's, you know, which a IE is usually not first down, um, then it's not going to be successful either. You know, so it's not going to be impactful in the way that you want it to change with the other team's approaches. So, you know, for Buffalo, you know, we even talk about the running people where get caught up in that when a team starts losing, they get caught up in kind of, Oh, you know, they need to be whatever they aren't, you know, if they're running too much, they people, they get criticized for that. And that, Their numbers show us that's probably more apt to be be, to be correct criticism, and then if they're not, they people always go back to oh they need to be able to run it more. It it, it doesn't matter. Like if they can't pass the ball better, it won't it won't matter for Buffalo. Like they're not good. Like you honestly think getting Devin Singletary going is going to win them Super Bowl? It's just not the case. Like getting Josh Allen going at a higher level will that win them Super Bowl. Stephon Diggs at a higher level. You know Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley at a higher level. You know that's what's going to win them Super Bowl. So. Why not focus on that? Especially because they've actually, you know, when they have run the ball, they're, they're not like bottom of the league in terms of rushing. Like they're okay, you know, that's and that's good enough for this team. You know, look at you can we can go back in history and look at recent history and all these teams that could barely run the football winning Super Bowls. I mean, two of them played in the Super Bowl last year. You know, so you know, and that's anecdotal, but you you know history supports it, especially recent history. And so my biggest thing with Buffalo is the passing game. Can they get that more consistently? And this comes back to exactly what you were saying and I and indicated earlier. And what I was just saying too is, you know, right now Josh Allen, it's drop back. and you know whether it's play action or not, you know he's going back and he's surveying the field and they're trying to hit big plays and he's holding on to the football long. And some of that's him; he needs to get it out quicker. Yeah, and some of it's protection, and protection hasn't been as good as it was last year, to be honest. And that's causing their offense to not be as efficient as it normally is. You know, Allen's good outside of structure. Don't get me wrong, um, but it's a little bit harder to create plays out of structure when defenses aren't playing as much man coverage. Right?
0: Patrick Mahomes is fan finding fan that, that fan
1: out. Fan. You know, like you can only stick yeah. with guys for so long. If Allen can create out of structure and zone, okay, just have your spaces, you know, keep feeling but You know, it's, it's a lot harder. So that's where I think this, this matchup and just matchups in general get harder for the Bills offense unless teams are in these deep zones and you can throw them out of it with more quick game. That's going to be the key for them. Tampa Bay discovered it last year right around this time, and we'll see if Buffalo can.
0: Yeah, listen, when when quotes started coming out that Andy Reid was asking Patrick Pons, listen, like, I don't want to clip your wings here, but could you just, like, at the top of your drop, throw the football? Like, I know that you're really great when you get out of structure, and the same can be said about Allen. And, listen, I, I think there there's something to be said, John, about the confidence a quarterback has on the offensive line in front of him and how that affects his ability to play in rhythm, to play with anticipation. And right now, the same problems that reared its ugly head in the AFC Championship game against that Chiefs defensive line are the same problems that exist right now on the Bills' offensive line. And it shouldn't shock anybody, John. They didn't make a damn change on the offensive line. They brought back Feliciano, who... I don't want to... I'm not going to say single-handedly just got absolutely dominated by Chris Jones in that AFC championship, but he did like he was dominated and they turned around and gave him an extension. Um, And then it's like the Eric Andre meme, right? Like he kills the guy and he says, and and the guy that's getting killed is the bills passing offense. And it's Brandon Bean saying, why did you do that? And he's the one that's signing all the guys, you know? So it's kind of, it's just, I guess it's frustrating for me because they didn't change enough on the offensive line. And, What the common consensus, well, Nate, there are so many salary cap restrictions, but the Kansas City Chiefs remade every single position on their offensive line in one offseason. So I just don't want to hear it. Like, there was opportunities for this Bills team to get better on offensive line, and they decided that they need to draft, you know, 15 defensive ends. So uh, it's just, there's a lot of frustration here in Buffalo, and three wins by a couple of inches, and a play here and a play there, we have a totally different tune, but I guess that's football, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it is football, but Buffalo fans, you know, also just from what I've seen and I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm, there's probably not many other than Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, you know, where I've worked before, you know, there's not many markets I was doubted into as Buffalo just because a lot of history with me and Bills fans and Bills mm-hmm. too over the years, you know, and most of it good, you know, but I just see a lot and I just, uh, I I just am not that worried about the I'm not worried about this team like that. Like, Bottom line, it almost always comes back to this with teams that struggle during a regular season: Do you have great coaching, or do you not? Mm. And I feel like every Bills fan would have said a month ago that they do. And so, are you going to let a a couple games change your mind? I mean, this team still—it's not like they've even lost back-to-back games all season. They haven't even lost back-to-back games. Like, I just think everybody needs to look at at some of the processes that are in place here. Look at some of the look at some of the numbers. Even like this team is not—I'm not saying they're going to win the AFC, but it is not as bad as a lot of Buffalo fans think that it is, in my opinion. And I think you look at coaching and you say, okay, they've got a head coach that's been consistently good for this team since he came in. They have an offensive coordinator that's been consistently good for this team since he came in. And they have a defensive coordinator that's been consistently good for this team. Doug, like, I trust those guys to get it figured out and to get it turned around. So I think Buffalo is going to be fine. You know, Kansas city could be better if they also get a around because they're kind of the same situation. They've got, They've gotten it turned around on defense already. Um, So can they do that on offense as well? I think, yeah, that they could. Um, You know, New England obviously has great coaching. I I think they're behind at the most important position on the field, obviously, Buffalo and and Kansas City. Um, So we'll see, you know, there. We'll see throughout the rest of the AFC. You know, the Ravens are are also just decimated by injuries. So the situation's a little bit differently there. But I still think Buffalo and Kansas City are the most likely teams to come out of the AFC. And I definitely think Buffalo, yeah, they've got some things to fix. You know, so – has just about every Super Bowl champion at some point during the regular season. That is not uncommon. It's, the rails have not come off this team like the national media is talking about. I think you're going to see it. on. I think you're going to see a team that's inspired playing, inspired football, and is figuring some things out. When you lose a game like that, everybody reacts.
2: It's mm-hmm. watch
1: TV. And you yep. get physically, you know, all that thing. But a game like that came down to one or two. play. I mean, that could, that's a coin flip game, and you could talk about the conditions too. But here's the thing coaches a lot of the time react the same way. So they go back and they say, all right, we got to make some changes. And they look harder at themselves and they say, we got to do this. It happened to the Bucs last year, the chiefs, the Rams coming off those games, going into the bye. Like those were ugly. Loss. Those were tough losses. They felt like they were close, but they just couldn't. That's how the bills have been. They've been close, but they just a couple things they need to figure out and get right. I think it forces them because they've been losses and not close wins. It's going to force them to go back to the drawing board a little bit harder and look a little bit deeper at themselves and make and pull the plug on some things and install some things that they might not have done had they been you know a couple games better in the win column.
0: John, appreciate you, buddy. As always, you're uh, great and very generous with your time. I always appreciate the insight and the conversation. Enjoy the game this weekend and tomorrow, and uh, enjoy the rest of the season as well. And uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll cross paths again sometime in February.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, Buck's Bill is going to be a fun one on Sunday. Hope you enjoy it.
0: Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. John Ledger there of Pewter Report on the Western Hotline. Always great if you missed any of the interview. Of course, WGR550.com is where you can check it out in on-demand audio. A reminder this evening, 610. The Sabres pregame, Brian Koziel and um, and Paul Hamilton will have B- uh, Sabres general manager Kevin Adams uh, on with them during pregame. So make sure you tune in a little early on Sabres pregame this evening. Okay, i got to take a timeout because i got Mike Tenere. He's coming up next here on WGR. Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. My man, Mike Tanier, who made up a word this week that I had never heard of, joins me on the Wester Hotline to try to explain to me what the hell Chumpzilla is. And um, I think you'll do a good job describing that, won't you?
2: Of course I will. You start with <laughs> Godzilla, but Godzilla is within you. And it's Godzilla that stomps around within you and turns you into a chump. And that's Chumpzilla. And that's the Buffalo Bills greatest foe right now. Is the Kaiju monster Chumpzilla that makes them play like chumps whenever there's a game that matters?
0: And it is the games that matter, isn't it, Mike? It's it's the it's the Patriots, it's the Colts, it's games. Listen, this is a team that was five and one in one score games last year, Mike, and they're a team right now zero oh and four in those one score games, and. Short of just saying everything always goes back to the mean, everything, the law of averages, right? Like, that's the the, the things that I've been hearing this week. What comes down to this team's—and you, you uh, posted a stat about their DVOA in, like, crunch time situations being 26th on defense and 28th on offense, or maybe it's flip-flopped. Um, what would you—in your assessment of this— What would you maybe say is the primary reason for that? Is it coaching decisions? Um, Is it quarterback play? Is it offensive line play? Is it you know? I don't know. What is it? I guess.
2: After watching you know Monday night's game, I would say it was coaching decisions because you know that mixed with sort of a general unreadiness for these big games. You know when you're when you're in the red zone and you're committing false start penalties at home when you know those points are premium. Um, and and just some of the some of the game planning issues and some of the adjustment issues on Monday night they look like problems. But what was that game. And when I look back at the Colts game and I look back at the Titans game, it, sometimes it, it just it, it's the feeling that your team if they're not good enough, they're not they're not who they think they are. And when they face opponents that are stronger, when they're not out there beating the snot out of Texans or they're not out there beating the snot out of uh, the Jets or the Jacoby Brissett Dolphins or whatever. They're not who they say they are, and it kind of hits them late in these closed games where it's like, okay, we need the big play. We need the extra physical play on defense, extra physical play on offense. Oh, no, we don't stack up. We don't stack up when we're facing the Titans at full strength or the Patriots. We only stack up when we're facing some of these weaker opponents.
0: And I kind of go. I want to go back to like the Titans game, and for for instance, in this. But before we go to the Titans, let's talk more about this Patriots game on Monday night because, you know, and yeah. they were one in four in the red zone. And I want to say that if you were to put that game in a simulation and played it out with the stats the way that they were, and the and the Patriots throwing it three times, the Bills probably in a simulation win that eighty five times. But I think <laughs> yeah. what that comes down to, Mike, is. I said this before the game, and I think it rings very true right now. That game on Monday night was way more about Sean McDermott than it was mm-hmm. about Josh Allen. And Sean McDermott did two things that I've never seen Sean McDermott do, which is after the game, give the, give the media a quote. He yeah. never, ever... Ever, 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 Mike. Ever, 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 ever gives the media a quote. He won't. He'll barely. He will barely have a heart heartbeat on the stage after a game. He gave them the juiciest quote I have ever heard. Sean McDermott mutter. It was Rex Ryan-esque. Yeah. Like, and then on the sidelines during that game. I saw his heart rate through his head in that little vein on the side of his head <laughs> pounding in a way that I've never seen. So like how uncharacteristic was that game for Sean McDermott and how much of that had to do with Bill Belichick being able to simply know exactly how to get under the opponent's skin. And I I want to go back to another Rex Ryan quote. This is crazy that I'm going to channel him two times in one segment in one question, uh-huh. but Rex said last year or his last year with the bills that when he got ran over he the the term on this station in the coach's interview during the week somebody said that they got ran over by the Patriots and he took such offense to that there's a level when you're an old school mm-hmm. defensive coach and you get yeah. quote run over by the run game you right. they take it bad dude they'll let you throw they'll let you throw for five hundred yards but you run for two hundred and so help them God how much of that game and the uncharacteristic way that Sean McDermott was for that game should maybe concern people about his level. I think a lot of people viewed him as like a top ten coach going into this year. Have you mm-hmm. veered away from that at all? Like, what are your thoughts of him after that Monday Night game?
2: Uh, I mean, a top ten coach. I'm still kind of okay with that. With the with you know the body of work we've seen over the last three years, it's you know the coach of the year candidate that he looked like in Week Five. That guy's gone. That guy's gone, and, and I've made a couple of remarks to the effect that your offensive coordinator seems like he was spending Mark Davis's money since uh, since, uh, since September in his brain instead sort of game planning. And I guess we can talk about that a, a little bit along the way. But there's a couple of elements that, first of all, I don't know if they win that simulation, the simulation league 85 times 100, because your touchdown came on a, you know, a, a a punt bouncing off the return man's mm-hmm. helmet. How, how how often does that happen right. for you know a Bel- Belichick team in the in the in the simulation? So I don't necessarily know about that. If Bill Belichick can get under his skin, that's a problem because he coaches in the AFC East. <laughs> and if we, don't, if we haven't solved that problem in year four or year five, then it's never going to go away. And it is a, a crippling, crippling problem there. So, so you know, I, I really don't know that's it. But you, the, the decision that he made that baffled me and that the soundbite I came away from wasn't necessarily so much, a, you know, don't give the other guy credit or whatever. It's when they start talking about McKenzie, the return man, being deactivated. And it's like, well, you know, he fumbled a couple of weeks ago, and therefore I'm afraid of him in the wind with a kickoff return and a punt return. It's like, are you, are, are you playing to lose? Are yeah. you that timid? Are you that wary? If this guy can't handle a punt in the wind, why is he on the roster in the first place? Right. And if you're going to deactivate him, did anyone along the way say, hey, you know what helps a lot when you're going you to have to run the ball a lot? Somebody who can catch a screen. Somebody who can run jet sweep. Maybe we should have our return man <laughs> involved in the offense more to do those things. And all of that goes back to, you're outsmarting yourself. Yeah, you are playing not to lose. Like at at a at a roster level, you're playing not to lose, and of course, you're failing at that.
0: Mike, I I want to ask you too of your impressions of the quarterbacks from that game. Obviously, Mac Jones throws the ball three times, and and I kind of want to ask yeah. you symbolically what that may be, because there was this thought going into the game that surely this is not Mac Jones' makeup. This is not going to be the type of game if he throws 25 times, the, the right. Patriots would lose. I think everybody agreed with that. But three times right. is 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 something. On the other yeah. side, Josh Allen threw the ball 30 times, and there were a couple of instances where it looked like um, the win played, fa- played a factor, but really it wasn't in his ball. It was in the receiver's ability to go and yeah, track yeah. it down. I felt, and I came away pretty damn impressed with his ability to spin the ball in that wind, but what does, is there maybe something more for the future of the quarterback situation in New England that you should be concerned about? If they can't throw the football in the 30 and 40 (laughs) mile per hour winds in the cold with their quarterback, I mean, they play in the Northeast and they're going to play seven, eight games a year where it's cold and windy. And And I just wonder, like, how sustainable is the whole Mac Jones thing?
2: Bill Belichick is hiding his rookie quarterback. He's protecting his rookie quarterback. He's hiding him. He's protecting him. He's been doing it all year. That was a very extreme example. Uh, Patriots fans are in denial about this because (laughs) they want him. They want it to be the next Brady, and that was just a brilliant game plan by Belichick. He's not hiding anything. He would have thrown. no, he's completely doing everything he can to, this kid throws more screen passes on third and twelve than than like a Kirk cousins impersonator, uh, you know. And, and it's just <laughs> and they convert them. They, you, you, know, you see Listen, I mean, I, I'll read the New England. You know, third and twelve, they get a fourteen yard screen pass. It happens like four times in a game, and then they'll write seriously, why the screen passes like uh, Mac Jones' signature play because he's so clever running it. Like, come the heck on, grow up. They're hiding this kid. Now, the, the main thing is, of course, you can hide your rookie quarterback and you're winning a lot. You can develop him as you go because he's not taking 15 sacks a game. He's not in the public eye saying, you know, what's wrong with Trevor Lawrence, anything like that. You can develop him in the long term, but you're right. It, 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 he hasn't demonstrated a lot yet, and I, I always warn people. It's like, please do not evaluate the the young quarterback or, the, or, you know, the backup when he always has the lead and he always has good field position. And when you watch a a Patriots game, they're always leading. The defense is shutting everybody down, running games hopping. They're always around midfield because somebody makes a mistake or whatever. That makes any quarterback look good. So so that's where they are with him. I'm not going to bury him for the future by any stretch. But like those, you know, you heard Aikman a couple weeks ago. They found their quarterback for the next eighteen years. Come the heck on! They found a kid who can throw screen passes and hand the ball off to their running backs and play behind a, you know, a bunch of old Brady protectors on the offensive line. And that's what they've got.
0: You know, though, I do, I will say this, Mike: is there have been times that, I, I, here's the really. The elite thing, I'll say, that Mac Jones maybe possesses is an understanding of his own limitations and building a way to throw the football in today's NFL with those limitations. Because he – I said this to Mark Schofield that – when I watch him play, I watch a guy that throws like such a catchable football. Where sometimes on Monday night, Josh Allen was throwing a four seam that would make <laughs> Randy Johnson jealous. Like there was that first throw of the game to Dawson mm-hmm. Knox that Dawson Knox threw uh, dropped and it hit him in the broken hand that he has. Like. Mm-hmm. I have never seen a quarterback wind up and throw a football with that level of velocity. I wish there was a gun on that. I, I would I would, I would, would kill to have a speed gun on that throw.
2: What you're doing, and I guess what Mark was doing, is taking—he doesn't have a good arm and turning it into an asset. Yes. Uh, and, and in the case of Josh Allen throwing into a 40-mile-an-hour wind, you're taking—has the best arm in the NFL, turning it into a, a, a detriment— uh, you know, like he doesn't get that ball's not going to arrive in these situations, if, especially like when he was throwing into the wind yesterday. But but that's it, you know, Trent Edwards threw a very touchable, uh, catchable ball. Remember yes, him? Yes. He, 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 didn't, he didn't have a good arm at all. And that's what you're looking at. What you're seeing is somebody where every, every throw that is successful is schemed up. Yeah. So he can get, yeah. he can drop it in there. And that's it. And, you can do that consistently against bad opponents when you always have the lead, when you're not facing, you know, you're not down by 10 and need two scores in the fourth quarter. It's like, yeah, dump it to Kendrick Bourne and watch a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, Tennessee Titans guys trip over each other trying to cover them. So, that's again, I, I'm not burying Mac Jones because there are quarterbacks who are very successful with, like, B-plus, B-arms B out there. But yeah, that's kind of what we're looking at. When, when everything's going right, even the bad stuff you do looks pretty good.
0: Uh, Senior analyst over at Football Outsiders, also contributor over at the New York Times Sports page, is Mike Deneer here joining me on the Western Hotline, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, and one of my favorite overall uh, writers and content creators. Mike, I want to ask you two more things, and I want to stick with the Patriots, and I want to get your overall thought on who the Patriots are, because they're the number one seed in the AFC right now. The Bills will have an opportunity to go to New England in two weeks, revenge themselves. Where do you stand on the Patriots? Like, are they... If you, if I asked you to put a gun to your head today, and you said, uh, "If I asked you to, who is the two teams in the AFC Championship game come January, whatever?" Is the Patriot are the Patriots one of them?
2: Yeah, right now it looks like the Chiefs and Patriots because I don't trust your Buffalo Bills up there to seal out these victories. I don't trust them to seal out against the Buccaneers. I don't trust them to seal it out in a rematch. Whereas the, the Patriots, they're, they're one. You know, they got you guys again. They got the Colts, and that's it. So in the AFC, where everything is volatile. Yep. Where every team is up and every team is down week to week, the team that doesn't have a the team that has a, a very high floor, but is isn't going to have like a really terrible game, is the king, and that, and that's the Patriots. Mm. They, their weakest, and a couple you know a couple months ago against the Saints, they got hammered, but on their worst day they're more or less kind of okay. And on their best day, they're, they're great, but I don't think they're, you know, uh, you know Buccaneers on their best day, great, or Packers on their best day, or Bills on their best day, great. So that low volatility is going to get them into the playoffs. And look at the way the playoffs are stacking up right now. Yep. Explain the Ravens to me. They're basically a mash unit. That's, yeah, they're a mash unit. at best. The Titans are a mash unit. So you're going to go in there and say, oh, we can run the ball, play defense. We don't do anything stupid on special teams except one, one punt bounces off a guy's head you're going to beat a bunch of teams. That's what you're going to do. The Bengals are going to go in the playoffs and have one of their brain cramps and, and 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 fall apart. The Titans are going to run out of dudes. The Ravens are going to run out of dudes. The Patriots are the ones that are going to move through that. Again, the Bills can can have something to say about that still, but the yep. Chiefs are going to do their own thing cuz they they have a lot of ways that they, when when they get on they're, they're still better than anybody else.
0: Mike, last thing for you. <laughs> Urban or Urban Meyer. Um <laughs> So this 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 Tom Pelissero piece. Um yeah. how does Shad Khan let him
2: coach tomorrow? I that's a good question. I would I would seriously consider. I, I guess you've got to coach tomorrow, but I would consider a Monday firing. Like like the idea that you create that much tumult right now is is kinda crazy, but I would consider a Monday firing after this. This sounds like a very very insecure man.
0: Uh, yes, incredibly. Like,
2: yeah. Like almost like dangerously insecure in terms of like what kind of ridiculous things he's starting to think now that he doesn't you know get ten guaranteed wins a year by by being a powerhouse coach and yeah I mean the, the report is talking about how he you know he's ordering coaches to tell what what have you ever won I won it's like Joe Bluth level stuff you know I'm the guy in the two hundred dollar <laughs> suit you don't tell me what to do and and, and and that's and that's like you can't you can't consider it because this becomes just cancerous metastasizing across the entire organization coaches quit players leave there's a story there about marvin jones yeah who like one of the most mellow like a plus a plus 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 character dudes in the nfl and he walks out like george harrison walking out in the middle of get back saying i'm not talking to you guys anymore has to be called back in it, that kind of thing you cannot let that fester you say we cannot let that fester beyond you know, january 6th or whatever but you're right if i if i was Shad Khan, i'd be thinking Maybe Monday morning. Let's just get the heck out of here. Promote one of the internal coaches and move on. I'm
0: so, for me though, Mike. I'm just absolutely befuddled and shocked that the guy that hired a former baloney salesman as head coach in San Francisco is also having these issues in Jacksonville. I mean, call me shocked that Trent Belk is the one behind all of this absolute ridiculousness. But like, I, at the end of the day, like they are sacrificing their quarterback for this, and and the the. The quote in that piece about how the reason James Robinson went back in the game is because Trevor yeah. Lawrence had to put his foot down. Uh, to me, though, yeah. Mike, all of this, what what makes me concerned is that it takes a Tom Palosero piece for this to come to light, and them not have already fu- knowing this is happening. How he's still yeah. there is just—it's beyond me, man. It's it's.
2: He, he survived. He survived the lap dance. When he survived yes! the lap dance, yeah. I think. I think Shad just like you know. I'm, I'm I'm thinking about wrestling and soccer. Wake me up in January eighth. And, and he should he should get set that wake up call. A little early. I just
0: I wonder what kind of bulletproof vest Urban Meyer wears that he still is married and still has his job after the lap dance. I just like that to me <laughs> that guy you he could do anything. I'm I'm convinced at this point. Mike, I appreciate oh, you, brother. Thanks goodness. as always for for your insight, your humor, and uh, and everything else. Your commentary, appreciate you, brother. Enjoy the weekend of games, and uh, we'll chat soon. You got to take care of that. Awesome. Mike Tanier there at Football Outsiders. I got to get a couple of breaks in here. Then we've got Greg Thompson coming right around the top of the hour, coming up here on WGR. All right, got to do the thing where I basically combine two breaks here. I've got Greg Thompson at cover One coming up here at the top of next hour. Uh, John from Rochester will grab your call as well at, uh, next hour. Uh, so stick with us here on Sports Talk Saturday. More Bills Bucks coverage here on WGR.